The following sermon is by Dan Thomas, pastor and teacher at Community Church in Edwardsburg, Michigan. If you've never visited us at Community Church, we invite you to join us at 28647 US 12 West in Edwardsburg. And now, here is Pastor Dan Thomas. When last you left us? We left us. Well, no, not uh, last week. We took a little break at the beach and preached a little different sermon. Uh, but two weeks ago, you all remember exactly where we were, where we left off. I know you wouldn't uh, miss a detail. Uh, but we had gone through Revelation chapter 4 and Revelation chapter 5. And you might remember that God gave John a little peek into heaven. And then John, of course, reveals that to us in the book of Revelation. So we took a little peek into heaven and see what's going on. And John, first of all, in chapter 4, told us about the throne. And the most important word that we remember is that this throne was occupied, okay? Meaning there is a God. There is the God on the throne. That means that's not the place we belong. That's the place he belongs. And, uh, and he is still large and in charge. He is seated on that throne. And we watch them worship him. We watch creatures worship him. And we watch elders, 24 elders worship him. And, then, and the, the uh, worship was contagious. It spread and it was exciting. And then chapter uh, 5 took a little bit of a turn because the focus changed from this throne, this occupied throne. And pointed us to a scroll that was being held by the one on the throne. And there was sadness in heaven. In fact, John said he was weeping bitterly because of uh, the fact that there was nobody worthy to open the scroll. And uh, John was crying about that. And the whole situation was kind of taking a little bit of a turn. But then one step forward, who was worthy? And you might remember the Lamb of God stepped forward. Okay, not only that, it says the one, the Lamb that was slain which is really kind of an awesome idea to think about because it is that idea that Jesus still bore the marks uh, of his sacrifice for us, and we will see that forever. Yes, our wounds will be healed, but we will still know that this is the one. The lamb is the one who offered himself as a sacrifice, and man, does the worship go crazy then. It just spreads even more, and they're singing glory to, uh, to God, and they're praising him and lifting him up, and heaven is having a great time of praise. And we can, we can visualize that a little bit and say, hey, the one day I'd love to be part of that. I love to sit here and worship. I, I really do. I, I, I actually get in my own little bubble up here. I ignore you guys completely. I don't care what you do. And I just, I just love uh, to sing his praise and, and worship. So anyway, we're seeing that going on in heaven. We get to the end of chapter 5. But in chapter 6, something new is going to happen. Now, before we look at that, I just want to ask you a question. Uh, we'll play a little trivia. Okay, you ready? We'll play a little trivia. Okay, you ready? Green, go. There you go. Oh, I forgot. I told you last time, I'm going to keep coming back to this phrase. I need to remind you of this. The, when we're studying the book of Revelation, the plain things are the main things. Okay, I am saying that if you think this is like a cop out because pastor's not sure about his interpretation of all the signs and things like that in the book of Revelation, he's trying to cover for himself a little bit here. You're completely right. Uh, that's exactly what I'm saying. I'm not sure in everything. And a couple times today, you might find me using this phrase, I believe. Now, what I'm, I'm not telling you, I just decide I'm going to believe it after studying in detail. I believe it. But let's focus on the main things, because there might be some places where, it, where I will say I believe. And you'll say, eh, I'm not sure I believe exactly what you believe uh, as far as that goes. So we need to come back and focus on the main things. OK, here's our trivia question. Anybody know who those four guys are? Yes, sir. 
He's all over it. The four horsemen of Notre Dame. If I'd have showed you this, you'd have probably got it. You've seen that somewhere around South Bend in a restaurant where somebody was trying to uh, get on that. Since college football is coming in a couple weeks, maybe we should have a, uh, you know, boo or cheer. For, no, we won't do that. Uh, boo or cheer for Notre Dame. How many would cheer? Okay. Okay. How many are waiting to boo? Uh, Okay. Yeah, see, this is a divided church. I shouldn't have even brought it up. Uh, we, got, we got some issues there. But uh, these four boys rode back in the 1920s. And some of you, you know, you've just seen the picture. You know this was the backfield of Notre Dame. Uh, they're famous for that. But they got their name uh, from the fellows that we're going to read about in chapter 6. Okay, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And uh, I'm going to say, first of all, we're going to look at this first horseman who came in on a white horse, and I'm going to say that that horse represents deception. Stay with me for a second as we read from uh, chapter 6 of the book of Revelation. Now, I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals. So remember, here we go. The Lamb had stepped up, and he had taken the scroll, and he's ready, and he is going to open now one of the seven seals. So I'm going to take off here. I'm not sure they had rubber bands back then. I'm kind of doubting it, uh, but, uh, but he broke through that, and, uh, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, come, and I looked, and behold, so John said, one of these creatures that we talked about, remember the lion, and the eagle, and the man, and the ox, one of them says to him, hey, come on up here, take a look, and John says, I did, and behold, there was a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and, his crown was and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. Now, uh, this is my first of two notable I believes. I believe that this first horseman is not a picture of Jesus Christ. Some people think that it is because it came on a white horse. I believe that Jesus will come on a white horse, and we'll read about it later. But I believe that this first white horse is actually the counterfeit. Okay, I think this is when the Antichrist shows up. And he comes in, why on a white horse? Why does he look like Jesus? Because that's what Satan does. He does his best to look like. Uh, so that's why I called this horse uh, deception. Because here's the thing. I, when the Antichrist comes, and whether or not you believe the white horse represents him, when the Antichrist comes, what he is going to be to the world is everything that the world wants in a Savior. Okay, let me tell you that again. What he is going to be is what the world is looking for in a Savior. That's not necessarily what Jesus was. Remember, they weren't looking for somebody to come in and die on the cross. They were looking for somebody to overthrow Rome. Okay? Uh, they weren't looking for somebody to set up the throne, take the throne of their lives and rule. They were looking for somebody basically to get, they were looking for a politician. Okay? And the Antichrist is an expert at promising something and not delivering it. Could that remind you of anything in our political world today? Does that ever happen that somebody makes a promise and then not delivers over and over again? And he is going to be great at this because he is going to come in and he is going to offer everybody exactly what they think they want. You know, it is so important with this then that we understand, and I've mentioned this before, in a world that we live in that is so much focused on my truth, Okay, everybody can have their own truth. This is my truth. It is so important that we understand that there still is the truth. And there's a truth about God. And there's a truth about Jesus Christ and who he is. And we don't get to form Jesus the way we want him to be. We don't get to create him uh, to be. Uh, when my son was little, do you remember the, the hymn you sing, uh, Tell It to Jesus? 
Tell it to Jesus. Tell it. To, anybody remember that? Okay, nobody. Who cares? Uh, okay, but anyway, you know how little kids hear things different? He'd be walking around the house singing, tell little Jesus, tell little Jesus. Uh, he had a little Jesus, and, and for a lot of people, that's what they have too. They have my own little Jesus. This is how I like to think of Jesus. Well, that's sweet, and I don't mean to be nasty, but it doesn't matter. Okay, Jesus is who he says he is. And uh, the, the world is looking a lot of times for somebody different. And even as I move forward and I talk about the judgments that are coming, I don't really like to think of Jesus that way. Uh, in fact, I even heard one preacher say this week, he said, we need to make sure that we're rethinking Jesus. And I'm like, eh, I don't think so. Okay, I don't think you get to rethink Jesus. I don't think you get, we get to form him how we want him to be. He is who he says he is. He didn't say, I am whoever you want me to be. He said, I am that I am. Those are the words of God. Okay, we don't get to define him. Okay, but this false uh, leader will come. Second horse is a red horse, picturing war. Let's read from verses 3 and 4. When they opened the second seal, I heard a living creature say, come, and out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted, note that phrase, he was permitted to take peace from the earth. So in there is that idea that uh, the natural course of men really is war, but God gives peace, and now it is going to be taken. Uh, and uh, so the people shall slay one another, and he was given a great sword. Okay, so it says, okay, this man of peace is going to come. This false Messiah is going to come. Uh, with him come these other riders. So everything that he promises, he's not going to deliver. What is going to happen is, is incredible war. Since World War II, there have been, uh, let's see, what, 150, at least 150 different wars in our, in our world. They said it, it, at times there's as many as three dozen wars going on at one time. Now, as intense as that sounds, the wars that we're talking about here, I don't think we can really imagine. Okay? Do you know that uh, 11 different countries have nuclear cap capability now? Do you know that the United States alone... Uh, all of his weapons could wipe out the earth in a matter of seconds. The potential of war and the devastation of war is incredible at this point. Now, I don't know for a fact that, that you know, what we're talking about here is nuclear war. Again, that's, a, I think, no, I don't, I don't really even know that. I think that, but what I do know is that God says this red horse is going to ride and it is going to bring war. There is a third horse that comes of the horsemen, and that is the black horse, which represents famine and hunger. And when he opened the third seal, oh, hey, I'm too behind on my rubber bands. Okay, uh, we opened the third seal. There we go. And I looked, and behold, a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales in its hand. And I heard them seem to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for denarius and three quarts of barley for denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. Just a couple things about what is said there. First of all, the scales are a way to carefully measure things. I think it, it carries with it the idea there will be famine, there will be rationing, uh, carefully measuring things out. And, uh, and you know, this, this is something that is so foreign to us, and I don't mean to be disrespectful, but we are in the percentage of the world that doesn't really know hunger. And I, and I don't mean to mock this, because I know this could come. Now, maybe I do mean to mock it a little bit. Uh, but, you know, I'll see a report on the news about the uh, supply shortages. And I, I know that's real and potentially worse, everything like that. So I don't, I don't really want to just. But at the same time, I'm watching this guy stand here. And there's some, he found an empty shelf behind him in the grocery store. So he's saying, well, we're having some food shortages. But you look down the row, and there's like 17 different choices of cereal. 
You know, so we're not really there. <laughs> Let's just put it like that. You may not have. I'm a little ticked because Mission Barbecue hasn't had turkey for a while, but I'm going to get over it. And I, and I think we're, we're all, we're all going to we're all going to make it. But uh, but what is happening here is we're rationing things out. And what it is going to cost you if you do the math on what is talking about the price of things, it'll cost you a day's wages not to buy bread, but to get the ingredients to make bread. Okay, if you study that out, it will cost a day's wages to get the ingredients to make bread. So there is that coming. And one quick note about the oil and the wine. Many have suggested that that's the finer things. Don't harm them. So in other words, the wealthy will still have. The, have, the haves will still have. But there will be great famine. Okay, so we have three horses. The fourth horse then is known as the pale horse. And represents death, probably a palish green color when you study the original language. And when he opened the fourth seal, I heard a voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come, and I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over, whoa, over a fourth of the earth. Okay, just digest that for a second. More than the population of China, over the fourth of the earth to kill with a sword and with famine, with pestilence, and by wild beasts of the earth. I think when you have this red horse with the war and you have this famine, uh, then it says, hey, there is going to be incredible death. Okay, there is going to be just mind-boggling how many people are going to die a fourth of the earth. This is, this is just astounding. The beast, uh, possibly because they're hungry themselves, they're attacking people, I don't know. I read this week, somebody had this uh, theory about how he thought that would actually be rats. I don't know about you, but I'd rather have a lion than a rat. Uh, it seemed like a little quicker, a little nicer. Uh, but, uh, but, I, but see what we're talking about here. Now, when you get into the next two seals, I have a hard time staying up with this, don't I? Number four, gone. Uh, number five, if you read about, read about that in the chapter, it's talking about the death of the Christians, the martyrdom. It talks about that. Number six is going to talk about uh, incredible calamity that hits the earth and earthquakes and everything like that is going to happen. Great picture, isn't it? Welcome to community. If you are our guest here today, this is what we do every week. Uh, we sit around and just try to cheer you up with some great news uh, about thing, things that, that are going to come. You know, maybe not, you know, the best way to go about it. And I want you to stay with me for a minute because I want you to see where God takes us on this next thing. Because truth of the matter is, this is not a great way to have a good time on Sunday morning is to sit around and talk about how bad things are going to get. By the way, you need a commercial for just a second here. Talking about preachers who uh, drive people away. Did anybody see this thing in the news this week about the preacher who wanted a watch? Did you see that? It's, it's sick, but it's funny. Uh, this preacher stands up, and he, sa- he, he tells his congregation, he says, I asked for a watch, certain kind of watch. I think it's you know, over 1000 bucks. I asked for a watch last year. I still don't have a watch. He said, am I not? You have to listen to this. He says, am I not worth your Red Lobster money? I thought that was hilarious because I thought, you know, their cheesy biscuits are pretty good, so I, I, I don't know if he is. But I could say, I could do the Edwardsburg version. Am I not worth your Spicy's Cafe money? Uh, is that not, that not it? Actually, don't want to watch. I'd break it in a minute. But, uh, but, uh, but any, anyway, that was just commercial on the side. I, I wanted us to get thinking about this whole idea of 
you know, okay, this, is, this message is so heavy. You know, do, do we want to even hear all, all these things, you know, that Jesus said? I, I mean, Jesus was the one who said, you know, a time li- li- is coming that we've never seen anything like it before. Uh, you know, and it's kind of overwhelming what is going to happen. In fact, the last couple verses there, uh, when it's talking about the sixth seal, it says people are going to cry out for rocks to fall upon them. Like, get me out of here no matter how, or hide me in, in these rocks. You know, it is just going to be terrible. And you say, okay, well, where are we going from this? And I want to take you back to a quote, again, from my last sermon that we're going to bring back every once in a while. The coming judgment, I want us to remember this, the coming judgment that we talk about will be ministered by the one who has already secured the way of escape. I want you to keep coming back to that. Because, yes, we are reading about incredible judgment, but we are also going to see the redeeming work of God in all this. Okay, it, it's kind of mind-boggling uh, what we get to see. Uh, the last verse of chapter 6 says this, For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? And chapter 7 is really going to answer that question, who can stand in this? But it is, it is somewhat interesting here because you'll notice, and I haven't just forgot, there's still a seal on here. So it's like God says, I'm going to stop this here for a second. I've told you what is going to come, but before we actually open it up and pour it all out, there's something I want to tell you, okay? And he takes chapter 7 and tells us. So it's not me just being a wimpy preacher. I just don't want to preach the negative. I've got to include some positive. This is exactly what God does. In chapter 6, he tells us the, the, uh, what is coming. In chapter 7, he takes a little pause. He says, hold on. We're not going to open that last seal until chapter 8. Right now, we're going to talk about the redeeming work, and we're going to talk about who it is that can stand. Now, I want to show you a couple of verses just about the whole idea of standing before we get into chapter 7. 1 Corinthians says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. Okay, in what can we stand? We could stand in the truth of the gospel. In Romans, we find that uh, through him we have obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand. We stand in His grace. I want you to remember this idea. First uh, Peter says the same idea. I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring to you the same truth, uh, the grace of God, stand firm in it. That these are the things that we stand in. Not in our good works. We stand, however, in His grace. Now, we're going to come back to that in a minute here. Let's go ahead and jump into chapter 7. And after this, okay, ready? You, you see where, remember where we are. Okay, the lamb has, has one seal left on there, and here's what's going to happen. I saw four angels standing at the corners of the earth. Some people have used this to say that uh, the Bible is about the flat earth. Now, uh, the Bible makes clear God talks about it being a sphere. That's obvious. He's just kind of illustrating. We've got the east, west, north, and south, every direction there. And they're holding back the winds, which often represent the judgment of God, and that, that no wind might blow on the earth or the sea against any tree. Then I saw an angel ascending and rising from, uh, from the rising of the sun. By the way, that's not scientifically correct either. The sun stays still. But anyway. uh, and with the seal of the living God, and he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the earth and the sea. And here's what he said. Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the seal to be 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. So in the midst of this terrible picture that I've described to you, 
God is still going to do some great things here, and we're going to read what he's going to do. He says, hold back, hold back, I'm going to seal some people. Okay, I'm going to put my seal on them. If you look over in chapter 14 of Revelation, verse number 4, when it talks about the 144,000 again, it says that they will be sealed with the name of their God. It says, hey, he's mine. Um, uh, Francis isn't here today, so you cannot repeat this story to her because it's, it's incredibly ungrateful. It's even worse than the pastor who wanted to watch. Uh, when, we, uh, when we got uh, 25 years in, Francis said, oh, silver anniversary. Uh, I, I, she had a great, and she was very sweet about it. She went out and she bought me a new set of golf clubs, silver golf clubs. Uh, and uh, she was so excited about it, and I'm still using those golf clubs. Uh, now, this is going to sound incredibly ungrateful. Do not repeat this. I really hope she doesn't go back and listen to the sermon. Uh, but they're, they're McGregor's, which is Kmart, you know. Uh, and, uh, and now I have found in my old age that when I swing, the ball just doesn't go as far. And I've really been thinking I want to invest in some better clubs, a little, a little bit better weighted so I get the ball a little bit farther. I've been thinking that. So I'm riding home yesterday, and at a garage sale, right out by the road, I see this really nice bag of golf clubs, tailor-made. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about right there. Uh, and, I, and I stop, and I'm looking at them, having a good time. I'm pulling the clubs out and measuring. I'm already picturing myself out there on the senior tour. And uh, uh, there, there I am, and the lady kind of, she's writing down something real fast, and she runs up, and I thought, well, there's no price on it, so she's probably running up with the price, and she walks up, and she slaps the side on there and says, sold, and in her hand, she had two $100 bills. She said, the guy just left that just gave me this, it sold. And I was like, 200 for this set? I'll give you four. Uh, she said, no, wait a minute. Uh, you don't understand. It's paid for. You know, it's, it's done. It's that you can't have this. You can't touch this. That's exactly what God says. I'm going to seal some people. You can't touch them. It's been paid for. It's done. I'm going to seal some people and set it up. Now, that last verse uses that phrase, 144,000. You may have heard that number before. Uh, there have been different religious groups over the years who've tried to claim that's them. That is they. Uh, the Jehovah's Witness used to say, yeah, that's us. And at one point, the Adventists said, oh, no, that's us. Uh, and they both kind of changed their tune a little bit as time has gone on. It doesn't seem to make sense uh, in what they said anymore. But I think, again, I think in studying, I believe that the Bible is very clear that these are Jews. Okay, it goes through the 12 tribes coming up here. And uh, I'm not going to read through the whole list. Actually, it's it's... It's an interesting study. If you want to know why the tribe of Dan isn't there, I'll tell you later, and why Joseph is. But, but anyway, I uh, don't have time for all that, but uh, it, the, the next several verses, five uh, and on, is going to just list the tribes. It's going to say 12,000 from this tribe, 12,000 from this tribe, 12,000 from this tribe. And again, later on, when the Bible talks about the same thing in chapter 14 of Revelation, it calls these people the first fruits. Okay, get that idea, the first fruits, the beginning. And, uh, and what I, I believe is that these are going to be those who are spreading the gospel throughout the world like you have never seen the gospel spread before. Okay, let's read just a little bit here. Uh, again, I jumped over the 12,000 from this tribe and 12,000 from this tribe. And after this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number. Every nation, all the tribes, peoples, and languages standing before the throne, before God clothed in white robes. I think we are going to see for the first time really ever the gospel taken to the whole earth. 
Uh, I've heard missionaries that will come into a church and say, hey, we've got to take the gospel to everybody so that Jesus will come back. Because Jesus said, I'll come back when the gospel has reached the whole earth. I don't really think they have that right. It's fine for them to say that and be excited about taking the gospel. But I think what it's talking about is what happens right here. The gospel, through this witness of this 144,000, by the way, excited people about the Savior. I had an opportunity uh, once to visit a Messianic temple, and I'm going to tell you something. Jewish believers know how to worship. They can get pretty doggone pumped. Okay, uh, uh, they had one thing where, uh, you know, they started this little dance chain through the church. I mean, it wasn't, you know, shake, shake, shake. Uh, it was, it was, but, you know, it was just a celebration dance going on. I was like, these folks, you know, what, you know, they were so excited. They were so pumped. You know, we talked about worship being contagious. I mean, you should have seen the whole place was just erupting, just excited about their faith. And I think we are going to have 144,000 Billy Grahams going nuts on the earth sharing the gospel. Okay, during this time. By the way, 144,000 that are sealed. And with everything that happens, they're going to be safe from it. And they're going to continue uh, to share the word of God. And look at their claim. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Let me read a little bit more here. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne. And they worshiped God saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And one of the elders addressed me saying, Who are these clothed in white robes? And from where have they come? To him I said, sir, you know. (laughs) It was one of those rhetorical questions. You know, so tell me. And he said, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have, a weird phrase here. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Hold it, wait a minute. I'm not a laundry expert. But I'm thinking when you wash something in blood, that's not the best way to make it white. This is one of those things where sometimes, you know, the gospel appears to be uh, foolishness to people. They look and say, I don't understand this phrase. How does it mean? How can you talk about being washed white in the blood? But this is the terminology of Scripture because what we find is when I put my faith in the sacrificial death, in the blood of Jesus Christ, God washes me white as snow. And if that doesn't make any, if you've never heard that before, I'm sorry that it's kind of you know, a language that, that you might not be familiar with. But when God, uh, but when I believe in the sacrificial work of Jesus Christ, the Bible says that I am washed whiter than snow. Hey, and by the way, these are those coming out of the great tribulation. Uh, if, if you read through the very strong sense that there are some martyrs in here, did you know that being a martyr does not guarantee you heaven? A lot of religions kind of teach that. You know, yeah, yeah, if you die for your faith, you're going. Do you know that, I mean, if a guy busted in here now and, and put a gun to your head and said, well, you, will you deny Jesus? And you said, no, I won't. And he shot you. You don't say, I'm going to heaven because I'm a martyr. Uh, here's why people go to heaven. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the only thing. Okay, that's it. Okay, there is not, and you know, that's why I'll say over and over again, there are no works, no act, nothing. Remember, we stand in grace. Is it because of what he did? It's never going to be about anything we do. But because of the blood of Jesus Christ, they're standing there and they're worshiping him together. Therefore, they are before the throne of God. And what are they doing? They're serving him day and night. Let's take a little, little peek at heaven. We're not sitting around floating on a cloud with a, a cloud with our harp. Uh, we are serving God day and night in the temple, and he who sits on the throne, oh, this is awesome. And this is kind of what we sung, sung about in the, in the, in the song uh, two before the message here. He will shelter, 
will shelter them with his presence. Wait a minute. We're going to be sheltered there. What are we going to be sheltered from? No hunger no more. Neither thirst anymore. The sun won't strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. Oh, this is awesome. He'll guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. See what I mean? You know why we can sing about heaven and, and, uh, and be excited about it? And see what God did here. Okay, God says, yes, I'm going to tell you about the judgment to come. It's serious stuff, okay? He's not playing around, okay? And you say, well, I don't exactly agree with everything. Folks, keep reading in Revelation. There's no way to say we don't have the judgment of God isn't big stuff, okay? But God says, oh, wait a minute. Before we, before we open this last seal, let me tell you something. Let me point again. Let me show you the redeeming work that I'm going to continue to do. So in chapter 6, we have this incredible trouble, time of trouble. But in chapter 7, what do we see? Immense revival. The gospel being spread everywhere, and God continues to work. And we see that in the greatest mess that the world will ever, will ever endure, the greatest message continues to be proclaimed. And we'll see that when this earth is at its physical worst, we could say it's at a spiritual best. You know, this is a truth I love and I hate at the same time because I could take a microcosm of that idea and stick it into my life. You know, a lot of times when I'm going through the worst things that this earth has to offer, those are the times I've grown most in my faith. And I don't really like that. I, I like Easy Street, okay? I want to I I sing that song and I want to dance down Easy Street. I don't really want the hard times that, that bring the spiritual growth a lot of times. But, but this is so true that a lot, when things are many times at their physical worst. Listen, when I uh, look at the sermon, and I, I know I have some, you know, gutlessness in me. <laughs> so I appreciate nobody amening. Uh, that, that was nice of you. At least under your breath, that was good. But uh, sometimes, okay, I, I'm thinking, boy, if a guest comes in today, and here I am, I'm talking about these four horsemen. What the? What in the world is this guy talking about? You know, Antichrist, yeah, whatever. And, you know, and then we got this horse of so war, and then we got uh, uh, famine, and then we got death, and these, all these calamities on, on earth. I'm kind of thinking, boy, that's not really what everybody came to hear or whatever. And there's, and there's part of me in my mind that says, hey, let's, let's turn the page. Well, I think I'd have to go back before the book of Revelation. Uh, but there's part of me that says, I don't really want to preach this, but I did want to share this. Uh, last week when we were up the beach, I had a chance to just talk a little bit about the fact that my brother was very instrumental in me coming to know the Lord. But what I didn't tell you is, as a teenager, my brother started to share with us a lot about prophecy. He was very interested in it. And he started to share with us about things like this. And, and the honest truth, this is all I can, I can say. I... I was a little scared. No, no, I was very scared because I realized I wasn't ready to meet Jesus. I didn't know him. Uh, I had never received the forgiveness for my sin. And, you know, again, this, this, this people-pleasing nature in me wants to say, ah, you know, you don't stand up and say stuff like that in church all the time. But I am so thankful that somebody told me that when I was a teenager, that told me that indeed there is a judgment for sin. And, and I, I can still remember, okay, the, the night that we had a conversation and when everybody else left, I literally, and I, I got down on my knees beside a cot that we had, I literally got down on my knees and said, God, 
I don't want to face this judgment. I need a Savior. I didn't, nobody led, led me in the exact words that I should say or anything like that, but all I knew is I, tr I would trust in Him for forgiveness of my sin, and I knew I needed that. So that part in me that is wimpy and wants to say, oh, I don't want to preach what is a weird message, you know, these horses and everything like that, needs to get out of the way. Because if somebody hadn't told me about that, I, you know, I don't know, honestly, I don't know where I'd be. I don't know if I could say right now, hey, I'm pretty confident because that sealed business, that's because of God's grace. I can stand in the fact that I'm sealed because I've trusted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I am so glad that I can share that with you. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. I think we're going to sing this, uh, uh, the last song that we sang again uh, before we leave. But as they come, I just want to repeat real quickly. I didn't know any fancy prayers. I'd barely been to church. We went, we went Christmas and Easter most of my life. And, uh, but I knew this. I knew there was a conviction. There was a, a grab, something grabbing my heart. I believe the Spirit of God says, I love you. I died for you. You need me. You need a Savior. And all I really did was say, save me. Okay? Wasn't really anything fancy. When, uh, you know, when Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, father of all these people, or no, no fancy prayers, I said, God, save me. I need you. And I uh, want to encourage you with the same message. Perhaps God had you come today to hear some wacko preacher trying to get a watch. <laughs> Don't want to watch. Uh, but uh, some wacko preacher talk about these horsemen and, and everything thing like that. But maybe God brought you here so that uh, he could say to you, hey, you know what? This, this whole business of being sealed, being in me, being in Christ, you're not there. And you, can only, and you can be there through trusting in that blood of Christ. Weird phrase, isn't it? Washed white in the blood. Man, are we weird to say something like that. But when you, when you come to understand what it means, it's one of the sweetest phrases you, you'll, you'll ever hear. Uh, Father... Um, I pray that people would come to understand what that means. Uh, I, can, I can explain it to a mind and, and probably not even do a great job of that. But Lord, I know you take it and apply it to hearts. So we, we just call upon the working of your spirit to do that today. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Pastor Dan Thomas of Community Church in Edwardsburg. For more information about the church, you can visit our website, edwardsburg.church. You may also contact the church via email, info at edwardsburg.church, or call us at 269-663-2648. Thank you for listening.